Welcome to Copyright Clearance Center's podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Beyond the Book. It's Friday, November 30th, 2018. Our weekly guest on the show is Andrew Albanese, Publishers Weekly Senior Writer, who joins me today from PW's editorial offices in New York City. Welcome back from the Thanksgiving holiday break, Andrew. Hey there, Chris. So the turkey leftovers are history now, which means the holiday book-selling season has begun in earnest. This year, the success of Michelle Obama's Becoming is bringing plenty of holiday cheer to booksellers. Are the sales figures to date consistent with the hype? Indeed. I think Penguin Random House is probably very pleased with the sales figures for Michelle Obama to start. Uh, the book sold over 1.4 million copies in its first week, which is not too shabby. Though I would point out that Penguin Random House did pay a rumored 60 to $65 million advance for the, the two books, both Michelle Obama's memoir and Barack Obama's memoir. So they've got a lot of books to sell to make that back. But yeah, I think they have to be really pleased with their first week sales. And for a memoir from a first lady, which typically, you know, do okay, but not terrific. You know, this book is truly in a league of its own. Uh, and indeed, I think this has given booksellers a really nice jumpstart to the holiday season. My colleagues, in fact, surveyed booksellers for a story that's up now on the PW website. And indie stores around the country are all reporting that Michelle Obama's book is flying off the shelves. And I'll just point out that one clever bookseller who has to remain anonymous, probably wisely, actually resorted to restocking from Costco. And he ended ended up telling our reporter that, geez, maybe I should do this more often because Costco was selling the Michelle Obama book at a 45% discount. And the regular discount that the indie bookseller gets was 46%. So pretty smart move there to make sure you had books on the shelves by going to Costco. Although I doubt there'd probably be many more titles like Michelle Obama's that would make such a practice a common one. Still pretty clever. We should also point out that Michelle Obama isn't the only big book that's on the shelves this holiday season. For example, there's a, a Jeff Kinney book out. It's a new wimpy kid. And J.K. Rowling's got the movie for Fantastic Beasts, so the, the Crimes of Grindelwald. The movie's out, and the, the screenplay for that is selling very well. And of course, there's just a ton of great fiction from this year that's out there. Still a lot of political books. I'm sure uh, there's a lot of you know uncles out there that are going to wind up getting political books in their stockings this year. Those typically make pretty good stocking stuffers. So all of this has booksellers and publishers, I think, feeling really confident and really good about the upcoming holiday season. Uh, Indeed, good news. Uh, But there was another report on the PW site this week that might dampen any enthusiasm. You report that publishers and booksellers are saying that they are having a hard time keeping books in stock all books. So what's going on with that? Yeah, this is a really fascinating development. But yes, publishers and booksellers say they are having a hard time getting their books, well, publishers anyway, getting their books printed. Uh, My boss, Jim Milliot, has been tracking this story for quite a while. And he reports that according to a number of sources, uh, both, you know, among printers and publishers and reps, people are just having a hard time dealing with potential shortfalls uh, for a number of reasons, both to a shortage of paper and a lack of printing capacity. Well, all right. So let's take this apart. Uh, There are two issues here. The first one is the paper issue. What's driving that? Well, let's put it this way. For publishers, Trump giveth and Trump taketh away. So the issue with paper goes back at least as far as the spring. We've heard complaints about publishers having a hard time obtaining paper at reasonable prices. And that owes pretty much to Trump's trade policy. So you remember that whole fight with Canada over the summer. Uh, and then there was the, the tariffs with China. And while we have a new trade deal with Canada and the tariff threat has now largely passed, paper supply 
has still not dramatically increased. And several publishers contacted by PW say they have been having to juggle their print runs and delay some reprints and just to make sure that their frontless titles are getting shipped on time. Matt Baer, who's the executive director of the Book Manufacturers Institute, told uh, my boss Jim Milliot that the industry across the board is still seeing issues around paper uh, and that there's a limited supply, which in turn started to drive up paper prices. Okay, so that's the paper issue. And then there's the capacity issue, the printing capacity issue. So, so much for the death of the printed book. And in 2018, can it really be true that we can't print them fast enough? That's exactly right. You know, and we've heard this from a number of publishers as well, that printing capacity has become a much, much bigger issue lately. Now, we've had a lot of big books this year, right? We've had a lot of million sellers, again, thanks to Mr. Trump. Um, But not only because of the paper are we having problems, but because there's just not enough printers out there to handle the demand. And this is after we saw some of the biggest players in the printing game either closed or being consolidated. Uh, Matt Bear also told Jim, uh, Jim Milliot, my boss, that the evidence is mounting that this holiday season is going to be a season where demand makes it difficult to get books to market in a timely way. And, you know, you mentioned it, and I have to just point out the irony in all of this. So given the fear that we've witnessed over the last decade as print sales dipped and ebooks were supposed to be taking over the world and all this competition from, from free internet-based things, well, the response has been to decrease the number of printers out there, right? While digital was taking off, printers were sort of, you know, as I said, consolidating and some were closing altogether. That's a trend we've been following for a long time here. And what I think is the most pernicious thing about all of this now is that, in my view, we're not going to be rebuilding that printing capacity, right? You know, once you've consolidated or closed a print shop, it's not likely we're going to be investing big money into reconstituting printers, right? I mean, yes, the existing businesses will get more efficient and perhaps they may even grow slightly, but our demand for print books in the decade of the ebook is now surpassing our ability to print them. Man, that sure seems like a cruel twist of fate to me. When Copyright Clearance Centers Beyond the Book returns, Andrew Albanese explains how a $27 million operating loss is good news for Barnes & Noble. I'm Christopher Keneally with Copyright Clearance Centers Beyond the Book. I'm Mark Rotella, Senior Editor at Publishers Weekly and host of the new PW podcast, Publishers Weekly Insider. Each week, we'll talk to PW editors, authors, and other industry guests about the biggest and most exciting stories and books in the world of publishing. New episodes of PW Insider premiere every Friday. So listen at publishersweekly.com slash PW Insider or wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to subscribe to PW Insider on iTunes. I'm Christopher Keneally for CCC's Beyond the Book. It's Friday, November 30th, 2018, and Andrew Albanese of Publishers Weekly joins me today as he does each Friday. Barnes & Noble was back in the news after Thanksgiving, and this time for a good reason. The company announced, Andrew, some fairly encouraging results for a change. Tell us about that. Yeah, that's right. You know, Last week, just ahead of Thanksgiving, in a call to investors, Barnes & Noble said that it had cut its operating loss in the second quarter, which ended October 27th to 20. 6.8 million. And while that sounds like a pretty big number, it's actually down by about 100%, in fact, from 52.2 million a year ago. I mean, that's a significant cut. It virtually halved Barnes & Noble's loss for the quarter. And while comp store sales dropped still about 1.4% in the period, uh, that, in fact, is also the smallest decline since the fourth quarter of fiscal 2016. 
So Barnes and Noble CEO Len Riggio said that you know he can't predict the outcome of the holiday sales season, but obviously this is good news, and he expects sales to continue to improve uh, during this holiday period. And as we discussed earlier. There are some big books to help in that regard. Now, overall, revenues are still down for Barnes & Noble. Uh, for the first half of fiscal 2019, Barnes & Noble reports revenue of, of about $1.56 billion, and that's down about 6% from the first half of fiscal 2018. But the operating loss was cut to $43 million, and that's down from $67 million. So you have to wonder... If some of former CEO Demos Parneros' efforts at right-sizing Barnes & Noble, at getting the business you know, to the right size, right scale, maybe they're paying off. Well, uh, that may be true, but it won't benefit uh, Mr. Parneros because he's in court with Barnes & Noble, and you were back in court on Thursday as the litigation between the former CEO of the bookseller and Barnes & Noble, his former employer, winds on. This is not so good news for Barnes & Noble, I suppose, and what did you see in court? So this week, there were a couple of moves in court. So we had discussed, I think, earlier in our, in our last podcast that that Parneros, Demos Parneros was going to seek to dismiss the counterclaim that Barnes & Noble had made against him. And indeed, they were in court on Thursday to let the court know that they planned to pursue that dismissal of Barnes & Noble's counterclaim. And the judge, to say the least, was skeptical. He sort of threw cold water on the idea of pursuing a separate dismissal of Barnes & Noble's counterclaim. And he has good reasons for that. For one, if Barnes & Noble's counterclaim has no merit, then that's just going to be found out during the course of the trial. And attorneys for Demos Parneros told the judge that, indeed, there would be no impact whatsoever on the main case that Parneros is bringing against Barnes & Noble if the counterclaims were dismissed or if the counterclaims were there. So the judge rightly questioned, well, why are we going through all this time and effort, you know, to file briefs and to spend time litigating a dismissal of these counterclaims if they're just going to get you know defeated or kicked out if you win the suit. And the answer I thought was pretty interesting because Parneros just doesn't want this hanging over his head. And you can understand that. And it's counterclaim Barnes & Noble is seeking damages from their former CEO. And they accuse him, of course, of sabotaging the sale to W.H. Smith over the summer. And if that was found to be true, then they would also be able to claw back more than a million dollars in income. Now, Ann Clark, the attorney for Demos Parneros in court, said Parneros is confident he's going to prevail in this case. But, you know, it would still be worth something to him to have this, you know, looming threat of millions of dollars in damages sort of taken off the board. But I'm not sure exactly how that's going to play out. The judge told attorneys that they have until December 21st to actually file that motion for dismissal if they plan to go ahead. Uh, they're certainly within their rights to do so. But he also told them that, you know, he was going to sit on it. So you can go ahead and file that claim. But since it has no real direct impact on the the case, he wasn't going to rule in a timely fashion. So we will know uh, by December 21st whether or not we're going to go through another round of motions. Regardless of where those motions wind up, we know where we will find you, Andrew Albanese. That's back here on Beyond the Book next Friday. Thanks for reporting for us today and have a great weekend. My pleasure as always. Coming next on Beyond the Book for the 2019 Copyright and Technology Conference on January 16th, organizer Bill Rosenblatt invites to the Fordham University School of Law entrepreneurs, attorneys, media executives, and public policy decision makers. A panel on blockchains, ebooks, and ownership will examine how blockchain technology could emulate content ownership for ebooks more closely than traditional downloads. One such thing is the ability to 
buy and sell ebooks on a blockchain so that when you buy an ebook, there's a record of your purchase of the ebook on a blockchain, which is a permanent record of transactions. Essentially, that's what a blockchain is, a distributed permanent record of transactions. And the advantage to doing this is that you can own the ebook in a way that you can't when you buy it from a current retailer such as Amazon or Apple or Barnes & Noble. You can resell it. You can give it to someone. You can lend it to someone. You can rent it to someone. Copyright and Technology 2019, next on Beyond the Book. Beyond the Book is produced by Copyright Clearance Center, builders of unique solutions that connect content and rights in contextually relevant ways through software and professional services. CCC helps people navigate vast amounts of data to discover actionable insights, enabling them to innovate and make informed decisions. Beyond the Book co-producer and recording engineer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. I'm Christopher Keneally. Thanks for listening and join us again soon on Beyond the Book. Mm-hmm.